the word became flesh and dwelt among us, is the more traditional NIV version. In the Greek, it's even more pronounced, this contrast of word and flesh. In the Greek, it, in the word order, word and flesh are back to back. So a more literal translation is the word flesh became. That contrast of back to back right there. The whole understanding or thoughts or ideas of God, the creator God within whom we live and move and have our being, all of that became one human being in history. Jesus of Nazareth. And the writer of of the gospel, according to John, saw it. That's another part of this verse. We have seen his glory. The glory of the the only begotten son is the, the, the literal translation there. Dale Bruner, who was a longtime professor at Whitworth University in Spokane, notes that that word saw, we saw his glory. He says it captures the thrill of the generation that actually got to look at and touch God's incarnation. This verse, this one verse encompasses the whole of everything we celebrate about Christmas and even Easter, for that matter. The birth of Jesus, the incarnation, his supreme act of grace on the cross, and the glory of the resurrection. It's all here. So William Barclay, a Scottish pastor and writer, he had the same admiration for this verse that I do, and he wrote, here in this verse, we come to the sentence for the sake of which John wrote the whole gospel. A lifetime of study and thought could not exhaust the truth of this verse. So in fact, forget studying the whole gospel of John. We're just going to study this one verse from now until forever. No, we're not going to do that. But we could. That's how much is in here. And yet, as I contemplated this verse this week, None of that is what struck the most resounding chord within me. None of that that I just was talking about. Rather, it was this. He made his dwelling among us. Even more specifically, what struck within me was the more literal translation. He pitched a tent among us. This idea of God dwelling in a tent among the people had a long history uh, for the Israelites. As the Hebrew people, while they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, after God had freed them from slavery to the Pharaoh in Egypt, God told Moses to build a tent that would travel with the people. The fancier translation that usually comes across because tent seems so pedestrian is tabernacle. Build a tabernacle. That sounds very different than pitch a tent. But essentially, that's what it was. It was a tent. 
At each step, or excuse me, at each stop in their wandering, it would be set up right in the midst, in the heart of the camp, among the people, and God's presence would dwell there in the tent. In our scripture for this morning, John is recording that God has essentially done this again. In Jesus, God became flesh and pitched his tent of presence among the people in Jesus. The poignancy that resides in all of this is that a tent is by design a temporary structure. The tent that the Hebrew people carried with them through the desert was put up at every stop, but then it was broken down and carried with them as they traveled. When they got to the promised land and settled, they eventually built a temple of stone which lasted for centuries, but even that was eventually destroyed. Through all those years, various prophets were given visions proclaiming that one day God would permanently dwell among the people. That's the vision that was given to Zechariah in that Old Testament, uh, Hebrew First Testament passage that we read. Shout and celebrate, daughter of Zion. I'm on my way. I'm moving into your neighborhood. God's decree. On Christmas Day, we celebrate the first step in that vision becoming a reality. Our passage for this morning. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Still, in Jesus, God again pitched a tent. It wasn't permanent in the way that we understand that God will eventually dwell with us. So Advent, this season of four weeks leading up to Christmas, isn't only a remembering of the centuries of waiting for the Messiah, the Anointed One, Christ, to arrive. It's also an acknowledgement that we are still waiting for God to set up a permanent home when Christ comes again. We're still waiting for the fulfillment of the revelation that John had. This was also uh, John in the Revelation. When he sees a, a, a new heaven and a new earth and the holy Jerusalem coming down and being amongst the people, I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Behold, God has moved into the neighborhood in a permanent, eternal way, making a home with men and women. They are God's people and he is their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone, crying gone, pain gone, all these first order things gone because God lives with us now permanently. This is a vision that we're still waiting for to see fulfilled. So the question for us every Advent is 
Where do we look for God's presence now? In the meantime. And I like the fact that it's spelled M-E-A-N. In the meantime. In the in-between time. Where do we look for God's presence? I'm expecting that many of you may be as surprised as I was at what I feel was God's answer. This week, at least. I could not read these words, God became flesh and pitched his tent among us, and not think of the tent encampments all around our city. As much as the literal and figurative crap, kids, forgive my language, that accumulates in these encampments disturbs me, I honestly believe that if Jesus were to come to Seattle today, the way that he came to Nazareth 2,000 years ago, he wouldn't live in my neighborhood. He wouldn't live in this neighborhood where the sanctuary is. I believe that he would be far more likely to pitch a literal tent among the people in the encampments. I'd like to read a piece that was written by Rhonda McEwen, and I want to make sure I give credit to where this came from, because I, I read it after reading about Jesus pitching a tent and being so struck by that image. Rhonda McEwen is an professor, associate professor at Regent College, and in this piece that she writes called At the Margins, she reflects on a painting by the uh, Canadian artist William Kurilek. She writes, the artist, William Kurilek, describes the scene of this painting. This is, these are the, the artist's own words. The sky is starless and snow threatens again. In the dark river below, a boom of logs floats. Across the river, <clears throat> a light shines in the tower of the capital, announcing to the country <clears throat> that its representatives are inside deliberating. Ottawa's parliament buildings, this is again Canadian, and that's where the, the uh, seat of government is, the parliament in Ottawa. Ottawa's parliament buildings represent the focal point of power and self-importance in Seattle, maybe City Hall, or more than likely the wherever the Chamber of Commerce is set up in Skyscraper downtown. It represents the po focal point of power and self-importance, yet this is not what captures our attention. Instead, we are invited to ponder a curious scene unfolding in the wintry woods below, on the edges of the capital this capital city in this wooded area, oblivious to the rich and powerful on the hill, Mary is kneeling in the snow beside a sleepless homeless person. Astonishingly, she is holding the baby Jesus just close enough for him to reach out and gently touch the person's forehead. Emmanuel, the Son of God, identifies with the poverty and frailty of our humanity. And he appears in unexpected places, in unexpected ways. 
that Christ relinquished his glory. All that was his due is at the heart of the Christmas message. That, this is scripture from 2 Corinthians, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Literally. Arriving as a defenseless human baby in a stable, on the edges of society, homeless and away from grandeur and acclaim he deserved as king of kings. This confronts all of our notions of entitlement. Indeed, Jesus concluded much of his, uh, conducted much of his work and ministry at the margins in Galilee and Samaria rather than Jerusalem, in Seattle rather than Washington, D.C., and outside the prevailing power structures, on the road, by the sea, in the fields, on the mountain, by the well, at the margins, we often find those who are overlooked, hidden, forgotten by mainstream society and far from places of prominence. Yet Jesus is here, empowering the weak, rescuing the oppressed, befriending the stranger, healing the diseased and redeeming the sinners so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. While our 21st century globalized world boasts of unprecedented progress and unimaginable wealth in some corners, Emmanuel reaches out to those in the shadows of wealth and privilege, outside the realm of the expected. He identifies with those most unlikely to succeed. But through his grace, he provides a way that they and we might experience life more abundantly. O come, O come, Emmanuel. When God became flesh, Jesus pitched his tent among the marginalized. Until he comes again, that is where we need to seek Jesus. Amen.